And if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn me to the book of Exodus, if you don't have one, no worries. Look in front of you. Uh, there'll be a Bible there in the pew for you to use. This morning, we're going to launch into a new sermon series. It's entitled For the Rescue of Us All. We're going to be looking at some themes in the book of Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. Uh, it's part of what is called the Pentateuch, uh, those first five books of the Bible, so important for us. And many uh, theologians have said the book of Exodus is kind of like the Old Testament gospel. Uh, it's an incredible story of a God who rescues his people and a God in an amazing way who rescues us. And, and so that we know that God's word is, is God-breathed, what God wrote a long time ago. Scripture will tell us even now he's written for us. Uh, he's written for us to know how to live and to see Jesus. And so even if we go way back uh, to that second book of the Bible, way back to Exodus, we know that this rescue of us all it includes our story. Our story will be seen in this as well. I want to begin with a question, a question that's plaguing many right now. Um, just enter into this thought with me. But what should you do? What you do as the most powerful nation in the world with an immigration issue of biblical proportions? What do you do? What do you do with a, a, just a huge immigration problem of biblical proportions? Well, it, it's often been said that desperate times call for desperate measures, right? So there's desperate times. And so what are those desperate measures? Well, desperate times, desperate measures. What about enslaving the immigrants? What about if, if you just enslave them and, and, and try to force them to do labor uh, that would be beneficial for you? And, and what about infanticide? What about just, you know, maybe like weeding them out and, and, and taking uh, the children, or at least the male children, and getting them? What about genocide? Well, you know that desperate times call for desperate measures. And you all know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I'm talking about Egypt, right? Egypt in the year is about 1450. It's a long time, B.C. And they had an immigration issue. And they had a huge immigration issue because they had these Israelites, God's people. They showed up as 70 of them. And they showed up at a time of a, of a famine. Um, and they showed up and, and, and lo and behold, the, like the, the second ruler, the one, the right hand of the king, he was one of them. He was an Israelite too. His name was Joseph. And this dude could interpret some amazing dreams. And he could really see the future. And that God would use this guy to bless this nation, Egypt. But now J J Joseph is long gone. And not only that, the, the, the Pharaoh that loved him is the king. Pharaoh's like a king. He's long gone. And now there's a new king in town. He's got a problem. One of the problems is he's, he's got everything. He's got the riches of the world at the time. Hit pause. Isn't it amazing? This was Egypt. It really was. I mean, think of like the pyramids. Think about what they were able to build. I mean, this was the most powerful nation in the world at the time facing an immigrant issue. And the immigrant issue was the Israelites because they no longer were 70. These people were multiplying. God's people were multiplying like crazy. And, and now all of a sudden the Egyptians are like, oh my gosh, we got an issue here. Because listen, if we go to war, they might turn on us. And, and you know what? And not only that, they, they're so big and powerful, they might leave us and we might not be able to, to, to you know, gouge them. We might not be able to enslave them. 
to make all our bricks and mortars. So we got to control it. So what did Pharaoh say? Let's enslave them. You know what they did? They enslaved them. And guess what happened? The more they enslaved them, he says, let's keep them from multiplying. Everything he did to keep from multiplying, guess what God did? We're going to multiply. And then let's, let's take out their, their babies. Let's take out their boys. So what does God do? They multiply. I mean, God, God's plans are not going to be thwarted. It got to the point of, of genocide. But, you know, what we're going to see in the book of, of Exodus, that we just got to marinate it, we got to love the fact is, no matter how bleak things seem, and listen, they were bleak for God's people then. They're in slavery, right? I mean, they, they are not in the promised land. It is not going well for them. And it's been a long time. It's been like 400 years. No matter what's going on in your life, and no matter what you're wrestling with right now, and sometimes some of you are saying, like, man, it's been a long time. This hasn't been 400 years. But it's 400 years for God's plan to unfold. But God's fit plan will always unfold. It'll always unfold for his people. It'll always unfold in a way for the rescue of us all. So this book of Exodus, it's so beautiful. I hope you see it. This book of Exodus, it's going to give us like God's recipe for rescue. And, and it's consistent. God is so consistent. Uh, we're going to see that recipe throughout this incredible 66 books, this one story, this biblical pattern for how God delivers his people from peril. And so some of you are sitting there today, I need to be delivered. Well, let me tell you that God's recipe, in, in a big, broad-stroke way, God's people cry out. Maybe some of you are crying now. God's people cry out for a deliverer. Things get so bad that sometimes you don't even have words, right? Have you been there? I know you have. I mean, if you lived this life for more than 20 minutes, you probably had some groaning going on. So God's people cry out. Uh, God hears their cry. God loves his people. Don't miss that. God responds and he sends a deliverer, a savior to rescue him. It's throughout the book of Judges. It happens all the time. Uh, we see it here. It's just God's pattern. We cry, God delivers, and then God's people live in a season of thankfulness that never seems to last that long. For the rescue of us all, uh, for the rescue of you all, we're going to look at seven key components of rescue that we see in the book of Exodus. Uh, how God is going to rescue us from his and our enemies, and how he's going to rescue us from sin and death, uh, and what God's going to provide for us. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to be in this book. And let me just give you a little <laughs> diversion for a minute. It's kind of funny, you know. So we went through 1 Timothy, and we went through every verse. And we plowed through it. Some of you were glad when we got over. I'm not going to point out who, but some of you here were like, whew, man, get on to something else. We think we got it, right? And so now we're going to be in Exodus, and this is going to be like a buzzing over Exodus. Like we're going to just be flying over, and we're going to look at seven themes. And as a pastor, that's hard for me to do because it's so good and rich. And so when I prepare for a sermon, I usually collect uh, different commentaries. If you ever want to go up and see part of my library, it's, it's hosted it's right upstairs. You'll see some of the things over the years of just collecting. I love collecting books and commentaries of what those who have gone before us think of God's Word. And so I, I ordered one from one of my favorites, a guy named Philip Rankin. And it, it gave me his book that he preached through the book of Exodus. Guess how many sermons he preached? How many? One? Nope, more than that. 98. That's a preacher right there. 98. How many of you all want 98 sermons in a row in Exodus, right? 
Maybe not me. So, but it's hard because, you know, it deserves 98, and I'm giving you seven. What kind of pastor? You want to take back the pastor appreciation sign right there? Maybe you want to give me another one because we're going to go. But this, but what it's going to do, and I can't wait, is that, listen, this is going to show us Jesus. It's going to show us God's recipe of rescuing his people. It's beautiful. But it was not just written for us um, where we see Jesus. That's the main point. It was written for them. And they needed rescue. And we're going we're gonna to dig in to that as well. Well, when you think of a, rescue, a recipe that you need for uh, a rescue in God's people, what's the first thing you need? If you're going to need rescue, what's the first thing you need? What do you think you need? Uh, even, yeah, a savior, right? You need a savior. You need someone who can rescue God's people. So we're going to begin with a miraculous birth of a savior. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> Oh, you're thinking, wait a minute, a miraculous birth of, are we in Advent yet? Yes, we're going we're gonna to look at a miraculous birth of a Savior, and we're going to look at two primary things. This miraculous birth of a Savior, that when Moses was born, this was no ordinary child. Hit pause. Whoever has a baby and has, the mother holds this, oh, this is an ordinary child. Oh, this is ordinary. What mother doesn't say, oh my gosh. You know, we get pictures, and they think that this is the cutest baby ever, and you're like, oh man, wow. <laughs> hey, uh, but this was truly no ordinary child. And secondly, a savior of God's people. That's what we're going to see in Moses. So I'm going to do this. You know my pattern of preaching. I usually read through scripture. We got a decent amount of chunk of it we're going to read today. We're going to be a little bit in chapter 1 and 2. I'm going to start off in verse 8 in chapter 1. It's on page 42 in your pew Bibles. It'll also be here for you. Um, I usually read scripture and pray. But this time I'm going to pray and read scripture because... I would like to read scripture in a way that we stop and I tell you a few things and I kind of interpret it for you. And any time that a preacher interprets it, I need prayer, right? I'm going to ask God to open up our eyes uh, and our ears and close them. The things I say are from him, the things that fall away. You guys know what I'm going to say. So will you join me? It's an incredible story, but let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that you're a God who rescues. And God, we're so grateful that you rescue at a great cost to yourself the greatest cost ever. God, that you would spare no expense, including the life of your son, to rescue your people. Oh, how good and loving you are. And a rescue like that deserves our very lives. It deserves our love. It deserves everything. And Father, we see throughout your, your incredible word a pattern of rescue. And God, we're sheep that are prone to wander, and we, we, we get ourselves in these predicaments. We always need to be rescued. And it's amazing you never get weary of rescuing us. What a good shepherd you are. And God, we thank you that you provided for all of us, that there's no one here, no one watching that's too far from rescue. And no matter what we're facing, whether it's the most powerful country in the world trying to enslave us and kill our babies, God, you're able. That's incredible. So God, come with the power of your spirit and be with us. God, come and bless us in the reading of your word. Um, and God, I, I pray that uh, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to start off with... Uh, uh, Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 8. Uh, we're going to go through chapter 2, uh, verse 10. Again, you have the words there on the screen for you. You have Bibles in front of you. And 
I don't have my glasses up here, so let's see how this goes, okay? Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too mighty and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them and heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of of Israel. They had an immigration problem. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all the work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua. Let me hit pause. Isn't it interesting that in God's word, he gives us the name of the midwives and not the name of Pharaoh? Who is the important one here? Who does he really care about? I love the fact that he's going to give us the name of a couple of the midwives because they were awesome in his sight. And Pharaoh, he's he's a king, whatever. And Pharaoh said, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, you shall, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh in a great ruse, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and uh, so God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. What another random thing, by the way. He just said, "I'm going to bless you with kids." Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, "Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw it into the Nile. You shall let every daughter live." Chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi, he's Levi's where we get the priest, where, where, uh, where Levi went and took his wife, uh, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw that he was a fine child, and she hid him for three months. What mother doesn't birth a son and say, wow, this is incredible! Look at this, this is a fine son. The same word, the word used for good when God looked at his creation and called it all good. This is a good son. So she knew the edict that was issued. Here she has a beautiful, healthy boy. What does she do? She hides him for three months. Can you imagine those three months? 
Can you imagine every time he cried? Every time he fussed? Shh, hush, hush, shh. Can you imagine the panic and the fear for three months of a mother? A mother like only a mother. Those of you who are moms, picture yourself this. You're trying to save your boy. And for three months, you're doing everything you can to hide him. Verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She basically waterproofed it. She put the child, the Hebrew here is placed. This, is, this isn't, this is, oh my beloved son, I'm placing you into this basket. She placed the child in it and she placed it among the reeds by the river bend. And his sister, we know that her name is Miriam, not given us here, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh, not just any daughter, but the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked along beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. But what did she do? Listen to, listen to God's grace. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Hit pause. Wait a minute. This is one of the ones that should be killed. But look at him. Man. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, now here, here God had the sister there, hey, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Huh. Hey, by the way, when we go take care of this, I go get somebody who can nurse this boy. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Are you kidding me? Went and got the actual mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take the child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you wages. I'm going to pay you for it. Be a mom and let me pay you for it. For the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and, she became, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water, which is the name sounds like that. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Again, let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The first thing we're going to see is this is no ordinary child. And who, what mother thinks that he ever gives birth to an ordinary child? But this truly was no ordinary child. This was what is called a fine son. I mean, a perfectly healthy baby boy. And I love the Hebrew word, this word tobe, this good, this good son of mine is here. And what mother doesn't think that her son or daughter is a fine child? But there was something that they knew, that this was part of God's blessing. Somehow by God's grace, through faith, they realized they had to do something for this child to keep him alive. And we have the beautiful reality of all of Scripture. See, we can sit here and we could see the story unfold in Exodus and we can go back and see what Christ has done and we have the full Bible, the full canon of Scripture. And I love what the writer of Hebrews, uh, who's going to write and look back at this event, 
and say in Hebrews 11, 23 in the New Testament, say this, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. What led him to do this? According to God's word, it's God's grace through faith. By faith, they hid the child because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And here you have God's people operating by God's grace through faith. And God had given them the faith to say, this is not an ordinary child. This is a fine son. And this son is the one that God is going to raise up to rescue his people. By faith, Moses' parents feared God more than they feared man. By faith, they protected their fine son. By faith, they would train him the best they could, train him up in the way he should go, and by faith, give him back to Pharaoh's daughter. By faith. By faith, parents, raise your children. By faith, point them to God's great grace in Christ Jesus. By faith, we please God, and that's how we're to live our lives. So you have this fine son, uh, but he's a basket case. In verses three through six, Moses' mom did all she could do to waterproof that basket. Can you imagine, can you imagine that mom? Put yourself in that position. I mean, trying to make that thing waterproof. And she lovingly placed her son in it. Can you imagine the tears? Can you imagine the sorrow? Can you imagine a mother's heart placing her beloved son in a basket? And then placing him into the reeds, he was a basket case. And again, I love, God's word is so beautiful. And I mentioned to the kids, it's only that word basket used twice in the Old Testament. It's an ark. Huh. Isn't it amazing that way back with, with, with Noah, God is going to place a, a righteous, a no ordinary child into an ark to avoid God's wrath, to bring salvation to God's people. It's amazing to know through God's Bible, his story, the number of times the story seems to be in such peril. It's in one boat. It's in one ark. It's in one basket. The blessings of God are right there. But he's good, and he's sovereign, and he is in control. And this basket taste is going to save the world. But not only that, we see this beautiful thing that you have this government-subsidized mother's love. I mean, I hope you can see the irony. I mean, there's, there's humor in this story, right? So, so here you have Pharaoh who says, kill the boys. Here you have Pharaoh's daughter that opens up the basket and says, oh, by the way, this is one that should be killed, but I love him. Look at this kid. I have compassion. And so then you have... <laughs> In God's great providence, you have Moses' sister like, hey, uh, by the way, uh, cool kid, uh, do you want me to go find somebody to nurse him? Yeah, that's a great idea. So who does Miriam go and get? The mom. I mean, the mom, come come and nurse your child. Come and, and love and embrace your child. I mean, here is God's amazing plan unfolding. And not only that, government is going to subsidize this. We're going to pay you. We're going we're gonna, to... We're gonna, Pharaoh, who says, kill them all. Now he's paying for them. He's paying. Listen to the irony of this. Pharaoh is paying for the one who God is raising up that will bring him destruction. Is our God not amazing? Can our God not do all things? This is absolutely amazing that how God would work. Moses' mother, we're going to find out her name is Jochebed. Uh, it's in uh, Exodus 6, 20. We don't know 
here, again, the mother who, whose heart was wrenched and now that's going to receive coins from the government to love her own child. A mother who will train this child up, prepare him for what God has planned for him. What? For the rescue of us all. Our God is amazing, isn't he? Our God's word is incredible, is it not? But there's not, it's, it's like, there's more. God's not only going to raise him up, this no ordinary child, this fine son, this basket case, this one that has government subsidized mother's love. God's going to raise him up to be a prince of Egypt. He's going to be an insider. He's going to be able to get work from the inside. And here you have Moses, one of God's people becoming a prince of Egypt. He, one who was doomed by Pharaoh at his birth. He was supposed to be killed. One who was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And one who will be an instrument of Pharaoh's demise. Is that not God's amazing grace? Can you see that God's providence is so beautiful and how he has worked? Our God is amazing. Let me hit pause and say this. What are you facing right now? What are your obstacles? I mean, what are the things in your life that they're just like, there's no way this can work out? I mean, there's, there, there's no way that this can find a, a completion that's going to make any sense. There's no way. What, what roadblocks are in front of you? What, what things in your life you just feel like you'll never get around? You never, and, and I don't know what God's will is for you, but I, we see a story like this, and you realize here are God's people enslaved by the most powerful nation here are God's people that a king says, kill all the babies. Uh, here is, I mean, it looks like, how bleak can you get? And God's going to say, let me show you how it can work. And we're going to see that for the next several weeks of how amazing God rescues us all. You know, it was interesting. The, the Nile was, uh, was, it was like a god to them. They worshiped the Nile. And God's going to turn it to blood. They worshiped the Nile. It was supposed to be a place of death for the Israelites. And isn't it amazing that the Nile, a place that the world wants to use for death, is a place that God's going to use for rescue? Isn't it amazing God's story? That on the cross of Christ, when the Romans thought that they were killing uh, this, this Sobe Messiah, they finally were going to end it, and the place of death would be doing away with him? Isn't it amazing that it was through his death that life and salvation would come through us? Just like if the Nile was supposed to be a place of death for them. It was a place of rescue. And it isn't amazing that God uses Pharaoh's own daughter. He could use anybody. But he just seems like he wants to just, <laughs> you think you're going to kill my people? I'm going to use your daughter. And she's going she's gonna to provide. And by the way, she's going to provide for the one who's going to undo your empire and bring salvation for God's people. Our God is amazing. And I hope you can see a story like this and just be just filled with joy and awe of who God is. But he also provided a savior of God's people. Now there's a few things I got to want to point out to you that's so amazingly linked to Jesus. Moses was born at a time of political infanticide, a time where the political oppression was such they wanted to kill the male children. Does it sound familiar to anybody that studied scripture? Moses was a very important savior of God's people. In the Old Testament, he's a shining star. I mean, Moses, like all, unlike all the other prophets, Moses spoke to God face to face. How amazing. I mean, Moses would be up on that mountain getting the law of God. How amazing. 
I mean, Moses had, had, a, had a unique voice and a unique role for God's people. And even for the Jewish people today, Moses is, is idolized, and in a lot of ways, rightfully so, because he was truly raised up as a savior for God's people at that time. But the Gospel of John will tell us of one who's greater than Moses. And even Deuteronomy would say that there's going to be a prophet like Moses who comes. But it was in the Gospel of John who says this, well, listen, the law was given through Moses, John 1:17, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses was a great savior of God's people at the time, but Jesus is God's ultimate savior, and it points to him. And in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, you get this story, you know it, you've heard the story, if you've been around Christianity, you know the story of Herod, you know the story of the wise men, they come and they bring the gifts. I just saw a hilarious thing on TikTok about the gifts they brought. Uh, anybody see that yet? It's a, uh, how, how do you, I don't even know how you, let me get going, okay? I mean, once again, interrupted by the thoughts of my own mind. But um, the wise men come, they bring these gifts, and Herod, a, a king at the time, uh, a Jewish king, he wasn't a Roman king, he says, hey, I want to worship this baby too. So tell me where you find him. He didn't want to worship the baby, he wanted to kill him. This was a threat to his kingdom. So what does he do? He's like, okay, wise man, go find out where he is, find this savior, that was this king to be born to the Jews, this Jesus, and when you find him, come tell me, because I want to come worship him too. And God does what God can do. He, they find Jesus, they bring the gifts, and by the way, God's spirit comes, the, the angel of the Lord says, hey, fellas, thanks for coming. Thanks for bringing the gifts to my son. You guys are great. Thanks for making the big journey. By the way, don't go back the same way. You got to go around this way. Don't go back and tell Herod. He's up to no good. So Herod realizes, oh, darn it. They tricked me. I don't know where he is. But they said that he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So let me tell you what I'm going to do. Let's kill the baby. Any baby that's two years of age or younger, that should cover it. Just wipe them out. I'm going to get rid of this king of the Jews. I'm going to get rid of this one who's going to come and threaten me. I'm going to get rid of him. And he slaughtered the babies. Same time with Moses. You have a miraculous birth. A whole lot more miraculous, born of a virgin. I mean, a whole, whole lot more miraculous than Moses. And just like Moses... At a political time where they were killing babies, that's where you had Jesus. You think that God has a pattern? You think he wants to tell you his story? You think that Moses didn't point to Jesus? You think on the road to Emmaus when Jesus showed up and he walked with those things and he starts with Moses and he works all the way through scripture and says, the whole book is about me. Don't you think they got to the point of the Exodus and they're all like, whoa, that's all about Jesus. That's absolutely incredible. He is the ultimate Savior. So God says to uh, Mary and Joseph, hey, I need you guys to go to Egypt. So get on your donkey. Get out of town because it's not safe here for my son. And he's got to be alive. Would you please flee to Egypt? So off they go. They go off to Egypt until a time when Herod's death comes and they get word that that guy that tried to kill you is gone. And then scripture is fulfilled. The book of Hosea, Hosea prophet in the Old Testament, Hosea 11, 1 that says this, out of Egypt, I will call my son. Now I know we're deep in the weeds. We're almost done. But I just want you to know this about scripture. 
When Hosea the prophet wrote, out of Egypt I will call my son, they didn't think of the Messiah. He didn't think of Jesus. He thought of God's first son, the Israelites. And out of Egypt, God called his son. But you see, God's word is so much more powerful and it's so incredible that the reality of what he was writing was that out of Egypt, God is going to call his son our Savior to rescue us. Verse 13, Matthew 2, 13. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remarry there until the time I tell you. For Herod is about to search for this child and destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. And why was he born? Jesus, so much greater than Moses, was born for the rescue of us all. Moses was born at a time to rescue God's people. What a miraculous birth. What an incredible savior of God's people. But Jesus came to rescue you and me for the rescue of us all. The book of Exodus is going to remind us that God is in complete control. When things look bleak, God is still there. God has a plan. He has a plan now, and it is unfolding. God still hears our cries. God still rescues, and God is still able to do it. So what is our response? Repent and believe. Walk by faith and trust the one who has sent his son to rescue us all. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, what an incredible story of rescue, but it's not the ultimate story of rescue. God, we're thankful for Moses. We're thankful that you raised up this no ordinary child, this incredible good boy, and what he was able to do. But God, he was only able to do it because of your grace and strength in him. But God, Moses, you used in a mighty way, but he just points to the ultimate rescue, and that is your son. God, I love the fact that the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is glory was seen and his humanity for a moment was, was, was just overtaken by his glory. There on that mountain was Moses and Elijah, the lawgiver and the prophet. And there your voice from heaven would say, of these three, Jesus alone is my son. Listen to him. Moses just points to Jesus. Elijah just points to Jesus. And God, we thank you that in Jesus we all are rescued. I pray for anyone who's listening here in person or online that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that God, today would be the day that they would repent and believe. Just like in faith, Moses' parents would hide their child. God, in faith, may we embrace the child of your son, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.